You're listening to The Coach Approach with Diane Ravenscroft. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an ambitious employee, or someone interested in getting the most out of every connection, responsive communication is key. Join management and learning specialist Dr. Diane Ravenscroft as she gives you the tools to improve any relationship that matters to your business, your career, and your life. All right, here's Diane. Welcome back to The Coach Approach Podcast. I am Diane Ravenscroft. Last time, I introduced you to a few costs of non-performance, one being waste. Waste can happen when ambiguous communication goes unchecked and unbalanced. Today, you'll get to meet the amazing chemical engineers and their partners in invention as they create incredible products we all rely on every day. This group overcame interpersonal and process challenges and surpassed their goals. I'd like to think part of that reason was the interactions with me and my programs, especially the coach approach. I love this story because I became connected to many of the people on this team. This happened over a decade ago, and I still work with several of these individuals, though many have moved on to new roles in new places. The previous podcast focused mostly on ambiguous communication, which I observed when watching etiquette training. People who serve others at tables cater to their comfort and care and spend a great deal of time being patient and attentive. It's hard to serve. I don't know if you've done it much, but it can be very difficult, especially if you're under or unappreciated. If you've ever worked in hotel restaurant management, You know what I mean. Servers must be willing and frankly suited to adjusting to the people they serve. In today's diverse workplaces, we must learn to adjust, especially to clients, particularly challenging clients who have high expectations, because most people have a sense of how they ought to be served. And these amazing engineers and salespeople and marketers and finance individuals on this team knew what they wanted. They had very specific goals for how they wanted to be treated, and they had a very strong sense of their worth and their value to the organization. The challenge with high self-worth and a sense of how much you're valued is it can go to your head. And in some cases, and I hope the people listening would agree, that the first place we started after the vulnerability commitment was a discussion about ego. In the spirit of acronyms part two, I discuss ego as E-G-O, edging growth out. If you have smart people who have unique skills and a mindset that includes a high ego, maybe bordering on hubris, that can be a challenge when you need to have cooperation. It can be a challenge when you need to have collaboration. So what's the difference between cooperation and collaboration, you might ask? People can collaborate 
but they can covertly be uncooperative. If you really want collaboration, you need to have overt cooperators. In this case, there were a lot of people on this team who showed up for meetings, appeared to collaborate, but behind the scenes had, frankly, terrible attitudes that sometimes edged growth out. So one of my jobs was to try to look at ego and think about it in terms of strengths, focus on strengths, emphasize strengths, and deal with bias. Again, in the spirit of acronyms, bias often relates to a person who thinks something and says something because ultimately their mindset believes I said that because I am superior. B-I-A-S, because I am superior. Okay, imagine that combination. You have individuals with tons of self-confidence to the point of hubris, and you have individuals who literally consider themselves superior and in some respects are because their skill set is so specialized. So that's the context. The backstory is that some of these individuals just didn't like each other. They didn't get along. So I was brought in to try to understand the personalities and figure out how we could balance process and the people, including the product. It wasn't an either-or situation. It wasn't a situation where we were worried that because we were focusing on process, the people would somehow be diminished, or we were concerned that if we focused on the product, the process would somehow be diminished. It was a three-in-one, a three-in-one challenge that we had to tackle together. So, of course, the first step was the vulnerability commitment. Those conversations were fascinating, and I'll describe those in a little while. But what impressed me the most was the declaration of interdependence. I did not expect, and I admit this, my fault, I did not expect the individuals to be so incredibly committed to the outcomes. I move this declaration of interdependence often with me because it's just a reminder that sometimes on the outside, people can be oppositional, but on the inside, they're incredibly committed committed to customers, committed to themselves, committed to conscientiousness, and have personal integrity because they don't like waste, just like I don't like waste. So I've said three really, really important words that are part of the success factors I've described in prior podcasts. These important success factors are commitment, cooperation, and collaboration. I spent a lot of time on the other success factor that matters, and that's communication. So now you have at least four success factors, and when they are absent, you have elements that are the costs of non-performance. So if you have a misunderstanding, that's poor communication. That's non-performance. If you have resistance, you're non-cooperative, so that's the cost of non-performance that you're paying as opposed to the success factor. So that gives you a glimpse into some of my research. 
Early on in my podcasts, I spoke a lot about how some people communicate towards avoidance, the we better not, let's make sure we don't, and the do without thinkers, that mindset. And I also emphasized the achievers, the people who aspire towards what's possible. I'm familiar with the work of Heidi Halverson, and I recommend her book because mine's not written yet. Halverson describes the prevention-promotion focus. And I have observed that some people speak in terms of what to avoid and some speak in terms of what to achieve as their natural predispositions. People tend to be in either camp, is how Halverson describes these individuals, and it's usually either or, this camp or that camp. So with respect, attribution, and acknowledgement, and a sincere tip of my hat to Halverson and Higgins and every published positive psychologist, applying my coach approach is a way to respect and reflect your own communication style, your position, your camp. Therefore, by doing so, you can hear yourself. So should you need to stop yourself, you can, to adjust and adapt to people and situations. When you begin to hear yourself, you'll become attuned to your words in real time. If you sound ambiguous, stop yourself. Ask yourself quietly inside your head, did that make sense? Did that make sense? Would that make sense to someone other than myself? You can do that in a split second. Our brain is that amazing. If you slow down to pause to hear yourself, which is what I call the pause effect, you can only benefit from that nanosecond to reflect. The hear yourself, stop yourself is the first invisible skill of the coach approach. It's invisible. Unless you frown a lot while you're doing it, it's invisible. It's kind of fun to think you're practicing a skill no one can see, but that everyone will benefit from. And it's not sneaky, though it might feel sneaky. It's powerful. There's also a twist with this skill. As you can hear yourself, stop yourself, and ask yourself questions like I did earlier. Did that make sense? I stopped myself and I asked myself a question. That's the twist. I affectionately describe these chemical engineers as geniuses, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. So think about people who file for patents, simplify our lives in impressive ways, and not ways that we might ask, oh, why didn't I think of that? In ways that make us marvel and think, who ever thought of that? It's amazing when brilliant minds come together. It's even more amazing when brilliant minds come together and get along. When they don't get aligned, it is yet another form of waste, non-performance. So I was brought in to help eliminate this non-performance performance, the bickering, the arguing, the resentment, the grudges, the non-performance. So I was 33% facilitator, 33% mediator, and 33% baffled, to begin with anyway. Eventually, it was 50-50, mediator and facilitator, and you get to benefit from what I learned 
as I help them solve and resolve issues together. Some interpersonal, some process, and definitely not product. As part of the vulnerability commitment conversations, and this is when I really started to become vested, many of the individuals explained to me that they had either ADHD, some form of neurodivergence, or neurodiversity. And they were high-functioning on what felt to them like an atypical adult autism spectrum. The reason I just said this is when I really started getting vested is I invest myself with my time and my energy, but it's not always emotional because you move from client to client so much. And it can be really hard if you make deep connections. This was a situation where I became vested. I was really starting to look out for people in the organization as they revealed to me more of what brought them to these amazing careers. After the individual vulnerability commitment conversations, I asked each person if they would like to share their insights into themselves with the group. And everyone agreed that everybody probably already knew. They already knew that they shared these neuro-uniquenesses, shall we say. But as part of the Declaration of Interdependence, it might make sense for one of them to bring up their neurodiversity unless they wanted me to weave that topic into the content. Every person said, no, you weave it in. I wove it in and everyone shared one by one how in one respect they can't believe what they have achieved as adults, as they had difficulty concentrating in school, in some cases dealt with bullying, in some cases dreadful words were spoken by teachers, telling a few of the brilliant people in the room that they wouldn't amount to much, if anything. Harsh, horrible to hear, and thankfully not taken to heart. What I began to understand about their communication styles was that there appeared a mutual understanding in their group that was not shared by those outside their role. So the chemical engineers all understood each other. They were scientists. But though each of them understood the other within this specialized group, their co-workers from sales, marketing, finance, and customer service felt like outsiders in, in meetings. This second group needed to learn how to relate, to communicate, and to understand how to take the ideas from the scientists and go do something with the information. In other words, you had a group of inventors and a group of implementers. The implementers would ask me, how can we take the baton from the scientists when the concepts feel so abstract and amorphous. We don't understand enough of what happens behind those walls pointing to the other side of the building, literally, to know how to speak to our customers when, when they ask us if product A can be adapted to become product B for the following application, end quote. So there was code for product confidentiality. So think about product A being the frame of a go-kart. And think of product B as being a roof of a treehouse. The customers were saying to the salespeople, 
can we get this exterior frame of the go-kart to somehow be adapted to the environment and conditions of the roof of a treehouse? That happened all the time. What I learned is in product design, as the chemical engineers explained it to me, some things are universal and can be applied between a go-kart and a treehouse, but others are not, as the conditions are not the same. One person said, think of something floating in zero gravity and being underwater. The conditions are not the same. Extreme conditions dictate very different formulas, especially for safety standards. I loved this stuff. I still do, because I started with a Bachelor of Science. I've always been interested in science. I've always been interested in how things are made. So I told you, I was vested. The more they would explain and take the time to explain to me, I would get even more interested. The key thing that I really began to respect, again, was the integrity. One person would say over and over again, you don't want to strain a product beyond its capability. They would be in a meeting. The salespeople would say, can we do this? Can we do that? And the person would say, you do not want to strain a product beyond its capability. I think we can all agree about this. But the salespeople were under pressure to look for new markets as a popular product ought to be able to have an application to new markets. And everybody wants to be first to that market. So I used a word earlier. I always improve my vocabulary when I hang out with brilliant people. So here we go. Amorphous. Without a clearly defined shape or form, lacking a clear structure or focus. Sound a little bit like ambiguity? The salespeople were saying, how do we take this baton when we don't really understand what we're selling? So the chemical engineers had spent so much time explaining this to me, I pitched an idea. I said, what if I explained in one of the meetings what you explained to me, or better yet, why don't you do that? And that's what happened. The scientists showed up. Here's the context. With their formulations for the product and described what they thought could be the adaptations for numerous markets. As soon as the marketing people heard the word markets, they were immediately engaged. Nothing against any of these professions. I'm just describing the situation as it was. It went from one group understanding their individual specializations outside of others' understanding to people speaking the same language. It was a huge leap for just a few minutes together. I was there to bring people together around commonalities. A major commonality everyone agreed they could improve was communication. So, all of us together, scientists and implementers, discussed the hear yourself, stop yourself, ask yourself, coach approach skill. The implementers needed to reduce or eliminate their critical and condemning ideas, their biases, their negative biases about the scientists. And the scientists needed to step back and try to take on the perspective of the implementers. Each group and individual was oblivious as to the reason behind their mutual dislike. That's why vulnerability is difficult. In the vulnerability commitment, you get to choose what you're going to be vulnerable about. And I don't think I've said that before. If information is the lifeblood of your business and informs decisions, I would say that it is essential to find ways to draw people out, to build trust and share information that matters most. The implementers shared that when they joined the team meetings, as the scientists handed off the formulas, 
to become products. The baton, the implementers felt like they came into the middle of a conversation. It was as if I had to catch up with what was inside the scientist's mind, one person said to me. She looked at a scientist and she said, please hear this as my perspective. When we come into these meetings, it's as if I have to catch up with what's inside of your brilliant mind. The scientists paused. We then went on to explain three things about neurodivergence and neurodiverse people. When communicating, neurodiverse people tend to, one, forget to explain the context, two, leave out the backstory, and three, miss the sequence, which is why people feel they're coming into the middle of a conversation. If you listen to my last podcast, that's the CBS showing up. One, forgetting to explain the context, C. Two, leaving out the backstory, B. And S, miss the sequence. The implementers explained how they needed to be brought up to speed to understand steps and next steps and asked if this was something that this could be changed. Tune in next week to find out what the scientists said. Thank you so much for listening. It's been fun to recall these memories. I am Diane Ravenscroft, and you have been listening to the Coach Approach Podcast. Talk to you soon.